Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. Hello and welcome to Long Final from Squawk 7000. On this episode, I'm talking with pilot and radio presenter Barry Lang. I started our conversation by asking Barry about the last aircraft he was in command of. An Airbus A380. It was to, uh, it was a Bangkok flight. Uh, I flew it there and back, back to Dubai. So, uh, but that was quite a while ago now. The idea that you flew it there and back suggests that you kind of might have known it was your last one, was it? No, I didn't. I I wish I did. I probably would have made more out of it had I known. Uh, it took everybody by surprise. It was a, a few weeks after that that uh, things got pretty serious uh, and, we, and we were all grounded. And that's um, March of 2020. Uh, flying for Emirates, I'd been there for 13 years and uh, started on the A330 as a first officer, uh, got my command on the 330, then the 340, and, uh, and ended up the last three years uh, as a captain on the A380. What's it like to fly the 380? The A380 is not like any Airbus I had flown before because uh, it is, I mean, the, the type rating, they say it's a common rating. It's another Airbus. You jump in and you go. And that doesn't really become apparent until you've actually been flying it for a while. You don't see the differences once you've got, you know, a couple of hundred hours on it. You say, yeah, this is just like an A340. But but in fact, the course, the technical course, the simulator, the procedures, uh, the systems on the airplane are, are, are totally different. Um, it's got four engines, and that's about all it has in common with an A340 that I flew before. But, uh, but it's a wonderful machine, and I have no doubt it'll be the best airplane I'll ever fly. It was designed for incredible redundancy. Uh, they wanted it to get 500 people, 500 miles on 50% of the systems. And it would do that very, very easily. It was a great airplane. Mm. Did it ever surprise you? No, the airplane never really surprised me. I have to be honest. Um, no, I, I had no no real shocks or surprises. And nothing really happened that... that uh, that I could blame on the airplane, at least, you know, no, it was, a, it was a great machine. Uh, I, uh, I loved it. 
Um, and as I say, after a while, you do you do see that it is very obviously an Airbus. So I've got like 15,000 hours of Airbus time. So there wasn't going to be a lot that was mm. going to surprise me or, or any very much that I hadn't seen before. I know you're a CRM instructor as well. And I'm just curious about you know mm. having so big a crew. Uh, that's puts mm. an that's an extra set of skills for the for the commander of an of a 380. Yeah, yeah, it does, um, and it is something that takes quite a bit of getting used to. Uh, when you go to do your crew briefing at the start of every flight, you you walk into a room and there's there's 25, sometimes 28 crew in the room that you've got to talk to. Uh, so just doing that is, is quite an event, especially if you know you were flying an A320 before where you had four, four or five. But you get used to that. And, and you know, the, as you say, CRM is a, is a big thing on that airplane. So leadership is really important. Communication is super important. Uh, and the crew all know that. They understand how important it is that if there is an issue, if there's something going going on that somebody needs to know about to put it through the chain of command and to communicate properly. It's really important. And and they do it very well. It is interesting, of course, with COVID and, of course, as a result of the pandemic, um, we're seeing airlines cutting back on the bigger fleets. Do you think the, mm. the, the days of the 380 might be numbered or is there a future for it? I uh, I think the 380, the problem that a lot of airlines have for it is that it just does not fit their model. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see an airline in Europe somewhere where it doesn't quite work because it's too big. It's too expensive. It burns anywhere between an 11 and 13 tons of fuel an hour. And that's that's a huge expense unless you are like. Emirates based in Dubai, where you are halfway to everywhere. You are in the middle of the world. So you can go east or west, north or south, and you can fly for 15 hours. There are routes that you can do that that airplane fit perfectly into. That's why, you know, going to Australia, it was perfect for that. Going to the west coast of the US, it was perfect for that. And the flights were always full. So when you ask me, is it going to come back? I think if it is, uh, and we don't know yet, and despite what the airlines are saying, especially Emirates are saying, yes, we'll come back. They don't really know. They're keeping their fingers crossed. But if it can come back, it will be for an airline like Emirates, where a good 60, 70% of their routes are ultra long range routes. So it fits their model perfectly. And I, I hope it does. It would be a terrible shame if it was to just disappear into the distance. And of course, that resulted in, the, in you being back here in Ireland. And we're going to talk about mm. what you're at at the moment uh, back in the, in the world of broadcasting. But I want to stay with the flying for a minute because we talked about your last flight in command. I'm now curious about mm. your first flight. And, and maybe let's, let's ask the question I ask all pilots. Your very first solo. When was that? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I did my initial uh, flight training with Iona, uh, if you can remember back that far. And I did, did my I, first yeah. solo. Yeah, I did my first solo on runway 23 in Dublin. In it must have been 1984 in a Cessna 150, which I think is still flying. It was Echo India Bravo Mike November. Maybe it's a 152, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh and yeah, it was just a couple of circuits on two, three, and uh, I was king of the world afterwards. And when people had a new, I used to work in recruitment and you would always ask, there was a question that, well, I would always ask, you know, what was your most memorable flight? And it always has to be that one, your first solo. Yeah, Anybody who yeah. said anything else is, is making it up, you know? But of course, that's, that's the other thing uh, is that you did it at an international airport uh, and, and you were part of the traffic. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, which, which yeah. it wouldn't happen to today. It wouldn't happen today, no, exactly. No, Do you remember no, any of the no. instructors? Yeah, Jim Duggan. Mm. Jim Duggan was uh, was uh, was my my main instructor, and uh, and I'm still friends with him today. Incredible. Your paths have crossed many times, I'm sure. Indeed, he's been he's been on the yes, program yes, with us as well. Yes. Okay, so yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose we set the scene, and this is where we're going to have a little bit of fun. I suppose going back, you were flying in 1984. You're doing your first solo, but you were also very well known, and indeed still well known at the time, because you were on Two FM. Or Radio 2? Uh, yeah, uh, I joined uh, RT Radio 2 in 1980. And and I stayed there for 18 years, left in 1998. And, and during that time, I got interested in, in flying. Initially, I, d- I did a lot of skydiving. And then I ended up working at the weekends. And because I was working weekends, I couldn't go down to Eden Dairy so much. Uh, to do my, my skydiving. And uh, so I said, well, I, I really want to be in the air. So, uh, so I took up flying and look what happened. You know, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, going the usual route. I did it all myself. I didn't go off to America or anything like that. I took the, the long, slow uh, slog, uh, getting a PPL, a CPL, and then uh, ultimately my air transport license. And I can't remember exactly how long it took. It took quite a few years. I didn't do it uh, all at one go. And um, people ask me, you know, how it happened. I just say it was a, a hobby that got out of control um, <laughs> and, and turned into, into a job. But I, I have no regrets about it. And to be fair, if you were looking for a job at that stage, there were slim pickings. Very slim pickings. In fact, I had a, a commercial license for seven years before I actually got a first job, which was with Transair. Um, so it was, yeah, it was in the, it was in the eighties, uh, mm. early nineties. The market was terrible, uh, probably almost as bad as it is right now, yeah. uh, with COVID there just weren't any jobs around. Um, and it all changed. Uh, and I, I ended up, uh, going to Transair in 1998, uh, and I, it was, a, it was a dream job because I got a job flying a, as a first officer on the A320. At that point too, though, you had to make a decision to give up um, mm. what a lot of people would have seen as the big gig, which would be uh, on yeah. the radio, national, unless you know, the beatbox, etc. Do you remember that mm. conversation when you had to turn to the people in, in, in RT and say, good luck, lads, I'm yeah. off? Yeah, I do. I remember it very well. Of course, the, the first conversation I had to have was with myself and, uh, yeah. did, you know, yeah. when it was I was I prepared to do this? And that conversation took about a microsecond, to be honest. Um, I was I was more. I, in fact, I had been thinking about it for for quite a few years. I knew that broadcasting, uh, and maybe you've broken the mold on this, but at the time, I didn't see broadcasting as something that I could do into my old age. It was it was <laughs> not the kind of job that I could you know, consider to be permanent and pensionable. And Never I was, knew no. that as no. And at some stage I was going to have to make a decision on did I really want to continue taking that risk or would I look for something a little bit more serious? And I, and I wanted to do something a little bit more academic. I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more. I've been in, in, in radio for uh, 18 years at, at RT and uh, two or three years before that on the Pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was ready for a change. Um, went in to see my boss once I had finally decided that I was going to go. He was a great guy, Bill O'Donovan. Oh, he right. uh, was the head of 2FM at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sat down and uh, I said to him, look, here's the story. I, I'm giving, I gave them 
like six months notice or whatever. And, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm going to go and, uh, and take up a, a flying career. And he said, I know there's no point in offering you any more money. And he just wished me the best of luck and didn't try to talk me out of it because he knew uh, uh, it wouldn't work. And we'll continue our chat in just a moment. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My guest on this episode of Long Final is Captain Barry Lang. That point then where you, uh, I suppose, put the uniform on for the first day and you head in, in to do the mm. job. Was there a sense of, of accomplishment or was it, as you say, that feeling of what am I trying to, what am I doing here? I No, it was, it was daunting. I went to, uh, Transair sent me down to Johannesburg to do the A320 course. And I'd never flown a jet before. I had, the, the biggest thing I'd flown before the 320 was a Navajo Chieftain. Right. So... It was a massive leap from a piston twin into a, a, a passenger jet. Mm. Uh, so the biggest challenge to meet at the beginning was to just get through the course, just survive the course, uh, and then go on to do the line training uh, and uh, and then fly the line. But it all went really smoothly. I had no issues. Uh, loved every moment of it, as I did for the for the rest of my time flying. Uh, I don't think I ever went to work without a smile. Uh, it yeah. was uh, it, it was great. 
I hope somebody at some point in your life has slagged you about the quality of your PAs. They must be good. <laughs> yeah, well, no, the, that was the beauty of doing most of your flying in the Middle East, you know, that nobody, <laughs> nobody knew me, nobody cared. So, so that was okay. <laughs> From Transair, where did you go next? Um, uh, Transair, I, I, I stayed at Transair for about three years and loved that job. That was an incredible job. Uh, as you know, it was all ACMI, aircrew maintenance insurance, uh, wet leasing around the world. Mm. Uh, got to fly based in Paris. Uh, I was based in Brussels. Uh, based in Cuba for, for a few months. Oh. Uh, we, we had some great contracts around the world. Uh, unfortunately, they went bust. And um, after that, I was looking around along with the rest of the, the Transair guys for, for something to do. Uh, it just so happened that Gulf Air were looking for contract pilots at the time. And a whole bunch of us went down, ended up down there flying their 320. Mm. They had just had their... Uh, their 320 crash. They were looking for some experienced uh, pilots to come in, and uh, and we ended up down there. I ended. I I went on a six month contract, and I ended up staying for seven years. Wow! So that quite, tells you a lot about quite an Irish like. community down there as well. I imagine. Yeah, there is, mm. and and we. I mean, there must have been twenty plus uh, Transair pilots that ended up down there as well. So it was. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, lovely place, lovely people. It's quiet. Uh, it's not too crazy um, and uh, very enjoyable. If flying became your profession, what became your hobby? That's a good question. Uh, well, later on, it became, I suppose, photography became my, my hobby, which I, I'm still doing now. And that's I, I'll, I'll have to watch that because that's starting to go in the same direction that the <laughs> flying went. <laughs> Turning it into but, a job, um, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm I'm trying to avoid all that, but yeah. but um, yeah, that that was probably it. But as you know, anybody who flies, who is a professional pilot, will know if that's your your choice, you don't have a lot of time for anything else. That it's 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 a round the clock job. You're constantly studying. You're constantly preparing for your simulators. You're constantly keeping up to date with new developments. There's always mm. some kind of an update to familiarize yourself with. So. So there wasn't very much time for it. I was just checking to see where you one of the golfing pilot fraternity. No, no. <laughs> you That's a, that. a waste of a long walk. Yeah, no, I, I have avoided that. Yeah. Tell me a bit about, about instruction. I, I was a CRM instructor uh, at Emirates. Uh, I spent uh, about five days every month in the classroom. We had a really good uh, CRM human factors department uh, at Emirates. They still do, of course. And I was part of a, a team that put together uh, the, uh, the new uh, modules that we would uh, prepare for uh, the recurrent. Uh, and I was teaching recurrent, initial and new joiner Airbus pilots. Uh, their their CRM courses loved every moment of it, especially the recurrent, because you would get a class full of uh, very experienced guys, maybe fifteen or twenty in the class, and a lot of it is just shooting the breeze and talking about mm. your experiences, what's happened to you in the last six months, what have you learned, what can you tell me that I might use on 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 my next flight when something might happen, and and that was one of the things about the three eighty. Uh, depending on the configuration, you could have up to 615 passengers uh, on board plus your 25 crew. So 
there was always something going on mm-hmm. in the cabin. There was always a sick passenger. There was always an issue with somebody somewhere that you had to deal with. So you got a lot of experience mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with dealing with that. So, um, yeah, the classroom was great. And I love the whole subject of human factors. I think it's um, everybody thinks being a pilot is about flying the airplane. It's about hands on the yoke or the side stick. And it's about, you know, on a dark and stormy night, landing it into some terrible high elevation airport. Mm-hmm. When, well, that's a given, isn't it? We, we all know we can do that because we have a piece of paper that says you can fly an airplane. But nobody thinks about what is really the biggest part of the job, which is being uh, the leader, being the communicator, holding it all together, making the big decisions, problem solving. And they they happen far more regularly than than technical issues or, you know, dark and stormy nights. So uh, for me, the, the one of the most important parts of what I was doing was to be able to know what the the non-technical skills were and to be good at them. Some of our listeners might not know necessarily what CRM is. We, we, we'll expand it a little bit about crew resource management. And the idea, I suppose, the old days we always thought, you know, the, the, what's the joke? What's the difference between God and the captain? God doesn't think he's a captain. Isn't that the, the famous right. line? Yeah. How, how, uh, how yes. do you actually work away that uh, that that idea that, that that you're still a leader, but people aren't afraid to talk to you or say they're not happy or something's not right? Well, you've got to be approachable and you set the tone when you meet your crew at the beginning of the flight. You've got to let them know that, hey, I'm here. We're all part of a team. Somebody has to be the leader. And today that just happens to be me. Bring your problems to me if you can't solve them yourself, but I'm not going to get in your way. I'll let you do your thing. And only come to me if there's something that that you can't solve. Uh, I find uh, that the best way to get the job done, especially with a large crew, is to just trust everybody, let them do their job, but verify, verify that everything is being done properly, but don't get in their way. Leave them alone. You're dealing with a professional crew. They know what they're doing. They've done it lots of times before. And sometimes they did come to you with problems that they couldn't solve or problems that they had to come to you uh, about, especially with troublesome passengers and so on, which, mm. which inevitably happens. But, but for me, let everybody do their job and only get involved when you have to. I'm curious about uh, working in the Middle East because it's a very, very multicultural environment. Mm. Does, that, does that have its pros and its cons? I never came across any real cons for it. The pros are you're, you're constantly meeting new people from different backgrounds, sharing information. It is important that to fit into an environment like that, that you are the kind of person who can work in a multicultural environment, that you don't have any preconceived ideas. You know, you don't, you're not one of those people who believes in, in cliches and nationalities and so on. And, and just approach it with a very open mind. Uh, when you go to do an interview for an airline that works in, you know, in, a, in an environment like that, it is most certainly one of the areas they will probe you on to make sure that you're suitable and that you fit in in, a, in an environment like that. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about airplanes. We've only focused on one of the fleet. You talked about the 380, the 320, but there's a couple in the middle there that I'm curious about. The 340? Yep. I flew two variants of the 340, the 300 and the 500. They're both uh, great airplanes. The 300 gets a hard time because it was 
deemed to be, you know, an underperformer and too slow. Well, it is, wasn't really that slow. It would fly at the same Mach numbers as mm. most uh, long-range aircraft would fly at. But the engines were a little bit underpowered. But as I always say, once you get to 50 feet at the end of the runway, you don't care. You're climbing away <laughs> and you're okay. But it was, of all the airplanes I've flown, including the 380, which is a, a wonderful machine, I think the 340-300 is probably my favorite. It's a real pilot's airplane. When you disconnect the automation, it just runs on rails. It, you put it where you want it to go, and it stays there. And it, and it does exactly what you tell it when you tell it to do it. There are no vices. Very stable airplane. Loved it. I love when you ask a pilot a, a question about an airplane and he starts with a smile. You smiled very much when you started to talk about that particular airplane. Yeah. Um, OK, we've asked you about your your first solo as a memorable flight. Any other memorable flights that you have other than the first solo? Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm always asked. And, and I mean, you even touched on it earlier on and people say it all the time. So go on, tell me about the terrible time that mm. something really horrible happened. And, and I have to be perfectly honest, it never really I, I I never had any issues with the airplane itself. Uh, they, it always behaved. Uh, if there were any days that I would look back on and think, yeah, that was that was an interesting day or that was a more <laughs> challenging day than I would have hoped. Uh, it, it's always been weather related. Yeah. Um, you Because we fly uh, at Emirates uh, ultra long range uh, flights, you can be taking off from 45 degrees in, in Dubai and flying into minus temperatures in, mm. in somewhere like northern Canada. Or, you know, you can be diverting into airports that you really would rather not have to go to. Mm. Um, I did have an issue in... In North America, it can be quite, quite challenging in the wintertime. The East Coast, uh, flying into Toronto uh, in wintertime, New York in wintertime, any busy environment when the weather is bad is, uh, is, is you know, you've got to be uh, on your game on days like that. But you get through it, you look back and you, and you learn and you go and you share those lessons with, uh, with your colleagues at your next CRM class. You're back in Ireland and you're back on the radio. Yeah, I'm doing well, I, it, not not to the same extent that I was before I left. <laughs> I came back and, and I didn't want to do nothing. Um, mm. So uh, I put out a few feelers and I, I'm doing a, a, a two days of the weekend, Saturday and Sunday afternoons on uh, Classic Hits Radio uh, in, in Ireland. And it's yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm enjoying it again. I, I wanted to see if I could still do it uh, if <laughs> You know, if if very much had changed since I left, uh, the answer to the first one, can I still do it? Well, yes, I can. Uh, and the answer to the other question has, has very much changed. Oh, yes, it really has. Uh, in terms of technology and studios and the way things are done, mm -hmm. I mean, the, when you listen to it, it sounds the same, but the way it's put together and presented now is, is very different. So, but um, if you can get your head around the automation on a, on a, a passenger jet, you can get your head yeah, around. Then you can the automation to select your fairly studio. well, exactly, when it comes yeah, to that yeah, one as well. Yeah. What, yeah, you, what yeah, will exactly. you fly next? Or have you decided to hang up the wings? Yeah, great question. Um, and I ask myself that regularly. Uh, I have a funny feeling that probably my flying days are over. Uh, I would like to get back into doing some teaching of CRM because I really like that. And I, I, and I was pretty good at that. 
But as far as uh, flying another airplane again, I, 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 at the moment, I don't know. But I suspect probably uh, I'll, I'll hang my, my mm. wings up and, and see if I can do something ground-based. Well, I've met a lot of pilots, pilots recently, professional pilots who are renewing their SEPs and, and heading back towards small mm. airfields again. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rule that out in the future as well. I, I haven't had the... Uh, the sort of the hankering to go and, and fly some anything yet, just yet. I'm, I'm too busy getting back on the radio and getting used to that. Mm. But maybe, uh, who knows, the, it's summer is starting now and, and the weather will be good. And maybe I'll, I'll take a drive out to Weston and see what's going on. Let me ask a philosophical question as we come to the end of our chat. Mm. If you could go back to 1984 and you've just parked Bravo Mike November back in Iona after your first solo, what bit of advice would you give mm. that young fella? As far as my aviation career is yeah. concerned, I, the advice I would give is is keep going, don't stop. You you you, you know. Uh, as I said, I've no regrets at all about the way uh, my 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 aviation career has gone. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, would I do it again? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. And it's great to be able to say that. Uh, would I change uh, anything about it? No, I don't think I would really. Um, I've flown with some incredible people, made some great friends, seen some, I mean, I've been around the world so many times at this stage. Uh, and that's one thing I do miss, traveling. That's probably what I will, I will do. When things start to open up, I'll get back traveling again. But, but for uh, advice for, for the, uh, the 24-year-old me that was back there, no, I would say keep it going. It's, it's worth every, every moment that you sweated and slaved over the books and, uh, and all the preparation. So yeah, keep going. Barry Lang, thanks for joining us on Long Final from Squawk 7000. Thank you very much, Michael. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.